Hello everybody, it's Ann again. Um, welcome to week six, guys. This is just flying, isn't it? Um, I hope everyone's hanging in there. I know that this has really been quite a challenging interval on a lot of levels, uh, juggling school and certainly uh, with the pandemic, the uh, increased work uh, demands, concern about family. If you have children, you're now homeschooling them. If you have elderly, you're now tending for them uh, in your life. So I just want to give you guys a good shout out and let you know that we're all in this together. Uh, and um, I just really believe that this is a time for grace. Uh, and, and it is with this grace and kindness that uh, we, will, we will succeed. Um, Unit 6 actually focuses on uh, using informatics to increase quality of outcome. So that's really, I'm going to talk about two things uh, in today's lecture. One is uh, uh, discuss that, informatics, uh, though a lot of the information will be synthesized and, and broken into bite-sized nuggets for you by your uh, presentation. Uh, and the other one is to kind of drill down a little bit deeper on um, a pretty cool theorist, uh, Margaret Newman, not to be confused with Betty Newman. Uh, she, this Margaret Newman is actually one of my favorites, so there's my bias. So, you know, when lecturers say that they're free of bias, I am not free of bias on this one because I actually think she's a pretty fascinating uh, human being uh, who has uh, since actually passed away. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about her first, and then we're going to talk, uh, dive into informatics. It should be about eh, 45 minutes long, guys, not too long. A uh, little bit about uh, Dr. Margaret Ann Newman. She's actually a pretty uh, interesting character. She uh, took a long journey to become a nurse. Uh, she actually had an uh, initial degree was in home economics and English from Baylor, so she went to a good school. Uh, and then she ultimately got a bachelor's of science in nursing and then a master's in nursing and then a Ph.D., uh, in nursing science and rehabilitation, and I think it that the fact that she actively sought rehabilitation kind of dovetails nicely into her theory as health as an expanding uh, consciousness. Um, she admits that she did not start out uh, as a nurse, and she resisted it, which is uh, classic, I think, of all of us. We're all a little bit bullheaded, and <laughs> she was one too. Um, she. Uh, found out that she truly um, had a calling for nursing when she was helping uh, care for her mother who had um, uh, ALS. Um, her, her mother actually passed away when she was uh, uh, in nursing school uh, and that kind of solidified her uh, desire to uh, continue on in nursing and develop nursing. Her um, she kind of actually swam with the giants, you know. She had these kind of coincidental meetings where she would uh, uh, run into the giants. And one of the giants she ran into was none other than Martha Rogers. Uh, and kind of helped, that, that interval, that, um, that chance meeting with Martha Rogers uh, led her to develop the view of health as really a unitary uh, concept. Uh, she kind of thought of... Um, that health and wellness, health and illness uh, were along one continuum and they were not on either sides of the spectrum, but that they uh, were actually uh, melded together. And so that kind of became the 
the night is for her um, her theory. Uh, she uh, was a published author um, uh, multiple times. She's a was a dean of the School of Nursing. She was a chair emeritus in Minnesota. Um, did a lot of nursing research. So she was not only professionally accomplished, she also um, uh, was able to um, integrate uh, this into actual practical uh, wellness. She first introduced her theory uh, in 1978, and she asserted uh, that this health, this concept of health as a unitary process, moving through various degrees of organization and disorganization, um, would ultimately manifest and have meaning in people's lives. She stressed the responsibility and the role of the nurse uh, was to help people recognize their internal power, their intrinsic ability uh, to push themselves to a higher level of consciousness related to health, um, and also uh, uh, tagged into um, consciousness uh, as defined within the information of the systems, the capacity of the healthcare system as we know it to interact with the environment on behalf or against the uh, patient. Now I know that that seems a little esoteric, um, but the reason that she's in this unit is that it um, ties in with informatics and how that integrates with the uh, with the individual patient. Um, one of her large tenets of her um, her theory was that. Uh, the manifestation or the, the appearance of disease is an explication of the underlying pattern of the person. Uh, and on a very simple analogy for that, it could be someone who has um, hyperlipidemia but does not create a system or a process or an environment that helps them reduce dietary fat intake. It could be the uh, person with um, emphysema who doesn't quit smoking, uh, uh, cognizant of the, the damage that uh, to their lungs, but just doesn't uh, quit. Uh, the cool thing, another cool thing about this theory is it really is, uh, because it's the individual and there's an expansion of consciousness as part of the human experience, this is really an, an unending uh, potential. Um, she, she actually wrote about this extensively uh, later in life, uh, and she did pass away in 2018. Uh, uh, but she actually took this expansion of consciousness uh, in a way to embrace aging and death. Um, she uh, hypothesized that there was indeed peace and meaning and suffering, uh, and once you are free from all things that you have feared, the loss, the death, the dependency, you can let go of fear. Uh, and live a, a larger life, you know. So with this expanded philosophy of health um, also comes this expanded view of nursing. Uh, um, there's this analogy I read one time uh, where she was uh, at NYU. She did, um, she did do some teaching at NYU for a while, uh, and she had a colleague, and after they had uh, retired as nursing professors, uh, um, she was walking with one of her colleagues, and they had a, they found a cat. Cat was, uh, she had a cat, uh, and uh, her cat was ill, and they needed injections uh, to get um, a shot. So she called her friend to come over and help her give her cat a shot, and she was holding in, uh, holding the cat in arms, and she said, 
and um, and her friend wanted to give the shot. And all of a sudden, she stopped her friend and said, would you rather be the nurse? And um, Margaret Newman smiled and said, I am being the nurse. And I like that little analogy because it actually shows that um, nursing is not just the mechanics. It's not the injections. It's not the IV starts. It's not the compressions. It's not the assisting with intubation. It's not the passing of meds. It's all of that, plus the fact that you are there to um, uh, comfort and advocate and uh, uh, care for the for the patient in a in a truly tactile sense. Uh, this kind of resonates really with everything that's going on with me personally right now. But it is also uh, in my mind an example of uh, holism in nursing, and really Margaret Newman's theory completely. Uh, is that of a whole, uh, embracing wholeness uh, as a um, paradigm uh, for um, patient care. Um, she did, uh, one of the tenets of her, um, her theory was that uh, it is very difficult, uh, it, she, it was an acknowledgement that it's very difficult to compre comprehend the enormity of wholeness uh, and using that, using linear words, words that are, go from point A to point B, are um, are actually limiting in itself in understanding uh, ho the holistic mode of uh, care. Uh, that in addition to the mechanics, um, as I mentioned before, there's still the the nonlinear, the simultaneous, the intuitive cares uh, that go along with nursing. Uh, um, uh, another example that she used uh, to ex to um, elucidate kind of the ties that bind but that are invisible is is sodium chloride you know uh, the trace the elements of salt sodium and chlorine can be seen can be seen but not the bond between them when they are bonded together they become salt uh, and so that when you're examining the care that's delivered uh, on a nursing level you should strive to see um the bonds that are invisible, the ties that bind, see the patterns of interactions, the pattern of characteristic wholeness, and that this wholeness um, is not something that can be achieved. It's not a goal to work to, but it's already there. So the individual patient comes whole, but parts of their, their wholeness, and I'm, I'm using air quotes with my hands that you can't see, are actually um, distorted or bent uh, given their uh, place on the continuum of, uh, of health uh, to illness. I realize it sounds super uh, esoteric, and I'm really not a, um, a, a crystal-y, kind of new-agey kind of person, uh, even though you would doubt that if you didn't know me, uh, listening to me uh, in rapture about Margaret Newman's theory. Uh, but it's really... Um, it's really a, a model that you can apply to every patient in every situation. Uh, in, as your role as, a, um, as an APP, as a role as a nurse, uh, you can apply this to the psych mental health population. You can apply this to the acute care nurse practitioner uh, role. You can apply this to the FNP. Uh, literally every, every patient relationship, uh, you can control it to. You, I'm sure you can apply it to. Um, this was a standalone theory. Uh, she was heavily influenced by uh, Martha Rogers, as I said before, um, uh, and a um, uh, 
theorist called uh, pyrogenine, uh, which actually was a, um, a theorist who worked on patterns of disorganization and uh, the identification that patterns tend to become more highly organized as information increases. And this kind of dovetails into today's uh, uh, topic, which is informatics. And so uh, it really is related. Um, Pyrogene also identified that uh, new information in an per individual person's paradigm, such as illness, does not fit into the existing uh, pattern. And then at that point in time, the pattern of that person's life pattern becomes uh, more disorganized, uh, less orderly, uh, sometimes even chaotic. Such times of disorganization provide an indication that change is necessary. Uh, an example of this would be, um, I think probably you could really pull from the AODA world in this, in that the the um, statement that people have to hit rock bottom before they want to change or certainly could apply this to the um, uh, psych mental health where their uh, uh, realm where the, the individual's uh, life becomes less organized more disorganized even chaotic which at that point in time intervention frequently occurs uh, which gets the uh, patient into treatment and guided uh, towards a uh, new pattern um, she, Newman also provided, uh, through her work, a new view of health. Uh, um, in the prior to her coming on there, and I, and this is not a unilateral state. Health was kind of viewed as a a failure, an inferior um, uh, state. Uh, she actually uh, challenged that. Um, and that uh, it identified that in her theory that uh, health was actually um, fluctuations in those patterns of sickness and, um, and that there is an upside to being sick uh, or, or illness, uh, for lack of a better term, um, and that these, these periods of disturbance uh, provide a needed ability to reorganize uh, the relationships of the individual's patterns within their, their pattern uh, to look for more harmony within themselves. Uh, so um, just kind of to sum up um, Margaret Newman before we get into talking about uh, health as expanding consciousness, uh, I do want to just kind of remember that her concept was that there were... Um, that that by her, her theory really kind of realmed on is that um, health was not a continuum of opposites, health and wellness, uh, up and down, black and white. Rather, it was uh, um, that there were no boundaries in this dynamic continuum between health and illness, and that the uh, individual uh, had many shades of gradation, uh, and that the nurse's role uh, one of the nurses' role was to help the individual um, identify the pattern, identified uh, the uh, lived experience and consequence of going through this disorganization within their own patterns, uh, and that um, from that came opportunities for increased freedom for the, the patient, increased uh, connectedness, as well as new awareness uh, of the uh, individual's potential. And that 
in essence, is why I'm particularly enamored uh, with this theory, because in my mind, this is the distillation of how I view uh, my personal philosophy is with patients, and that is to help them um, achieve their own awareness of their own potential. At the end of the day, we steer our own ship, right, guys? And, uh, and we can help patients identify ways that they can... Um, achieve uh, overall wellness. We can help each other as uh, advanced practice nurses identify patterns within our own life and stay connected and develop our own potential. You as a collective group are just the perfect example of that and that you are all kind of working in to achieve something. And so while you're connected in your individual struggle, uh, you are also... Um, uh, developing your own uh, potential and building on your own um, abilities uh, and as you go forward along the continuum of your life. Um, so there you go. That's, that's Anne's little uh, uh, lecture on um, Margaret Newman. I could go on for hours. <laughs> I clearly like her. Um, she did pass away. She is one of the giants uh, who, uh, she passed away in, in uh, 2018, actually. So she's actually a, a true contemporary. Uh, and I um, feel that she's really one of the giants uh, whose shoulders uh, we stood on uh, and I stood on as I developed uh, my own um, style, I guess. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, but not completely, because remember, um, Margaret Newman was very much uh, involved in um, using information and uh, um, interface uh, to help patients uh, expand. So we're going to talk a little bit about healthcare information uh, technology um, and how it uh, applies to evaluating outcomes. Um, I know usually people's first thought are, uh, um, they think of information technology and they think of the electronic health record, uh, which is actually a fairly new application, quite honestly. Uh, this was mandated, uh, this is, I believe it was, by 2018 was a federal mandate. There had to be substantive um, uh, integration or adaption of um, uh, the electronic health record uh, into uh, a hospital's, uh, a, a medical practice, not just a hospital, but a medical practice, except for the smallest uh, of practices. Everyone's familiar with the big ones. Um, the hospital systems like uh, Epic or uh, Cerner or Sunrise, um, uh, those are the big systems, and we're all familiar with the click, click, clicking that we do in our daily basis uh, to get through work. Uh, one could make an argument that too much was expected of these systems, that not only would they enhance quality care, but they would, they would streamline and, and have flawless billing and um, would help with regulatory reporting and uh, that uh, drive the performance improvement. And to a certain extent, it has been successful. Um, however, informatics has actually been around a lot longer uh, since the development of, of the electronic health record. Uh, it was um, first identified uh, by none other than Dr. Loretta Ford, who is uh, another giant uh, in the mid-60s, as they developed the first pediatric nurse practitioner program in Colorado. Uh, 
they identified that there there was um, that as they were rolling out these pediatric nurse practitioners, they identified that uh, through studies uh, of comparison between individual providers uh, or as a group, there was some uh, inconsistencies, and so they decided that they would actually um, uh, collate data. Uh, and try to identify some patterns of care um, outcome-related issues, uh, some data specificity as to uh, practice patterns. Um, they uh, found this to be a challenge, actually, uh, in uh, lined up, uh, actually, with the then-Infant Institute of Medicine. So uh, as a parenthesis on this, at this point in time, these, uh, the IOM, the Institute of Medicine, should not be an unfamiliar um, uh, acronym for you. Uh, it has been uh, integral in the development and uh, of quality initiatives uh, for um, advanced practice nursing and healthcare as a whole, and also uh, is very much tied to uh, informatics. Uh, so kind of getting back into that line, uh, their work with the Institute of Medicine identified that uh, all nurses LPNs, RNs, APRNs should function at the top of their practice, and that needed defining. Uh, um, this also was a part of uh, a polit uh, action, political action or legislative action on the behalf of advanced uh, practice nurses as they uh, then started to and today continue to strive for autonomous uh, practice, which we're going to get back to that because they're hot off the press uh, information last night that was released by the Wisconsin uh, Nurses Association. Um, so in 2012, um, it was the I, in 2011, uh, the IOM and in 2012, the National Governors Association identified that uh, um, with the increasing uh, independence and authority and responsibility for APRNs, there still needed to be uh, uh, an ability to demonstrate optimal comparable outcomes between uh, and on amongst uh, providers. So what they're really trying to say is they are trying to validate um, the outcomes that we, we as APRNs all kind of intuitively knew, but had not really uh, put forth um, a measurable uh, tool to do it. So they actually, uh, advocated um, this culling of data, uh, and one of the tools to do this was indeed the electronic uh, health record. Uh, it is very much, and I think the traditional view is this, uh, that informatics and information technology supports improved performance outcome. And I, I agree with that. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if I have um, a panel of 2,000 patients that I'm responsible for, and of those 2,000 patients, 25% um, of them, 500 of them, are uh, have hyperlipidemia. I should be able to know on a measurable way that I am hitting the standards and guidelines uh, when I uh, am managing my patients with hyperlipidemia. And if they fall out, um, what is my response to that? So I... It's an amazing tool as a provider to have someone do a data extraction report to show that of your patients, my patients, that I coded with a diagnosis of hyperlipidemia, how many of those were actually being treated uh, by guidelines, how many of those were actually outliers, if so, did I document why, because uh, that kind of brings in the whole um, continuity of care uh, concept.
sorry, I needed that coffee. Uh, and, um, and you can run these reports. And I do get quarterly reports on that. It is also um, information technology is actually aligned very closely with the role of the coders um, who do a lot of data abstraction and extraction uh, from uh, the notes that we do every day. This concept um, specific to hyperlipidemia and, and other medical diagnoses are also tied to uh, the United States Preventative Task Force recommend, recommendations and guidelines, which uh, as you get closer to clinical, if you have not already, uh, have heard about these guidelines, and those are actually kind of um, algorithmic uh, or recipe card kind of approaches uh, to disease pathology, such as breast cancer screening, such as hyperlipidemia, such as uh, CT screening for uh, lung cancer in smokers. Uh, so there's guidelines that are applied to this. Uh, in the inpatient world, a very common um, uh, indicator that you may be aware of now, uh, or maybe not, but now you are, is if you're discharging someone who has a history of heart failure, there's going to be boxes that need to be checked uh, that say whether or not the person is on an ACE inhibitor or a, an ARB, uh, are they on a beta blocker, and if the answer is no to either of those questions, what is the rationale for that? So what would be a rationale for not giving an ACE inhibitor? It would be someone has worsening renal function, someone has an acute kidney injury, some has, uh, has uh, kidney disease, someone didn't tolerate it, someone had angioedema from it. The reason not being on a beta blocker could be that their, um, their blood pressure was too low, uh, they had heart rhythm problems that would preclude you giving them, so let's just say they had second degree heart block, and they didn't have a pacemaker, you're not going to give a beta blocker. Even though evidence tells us that a beta blocker is a better way to help remodel um, a person's ventricular function, there's always going to be exceptions to why evidence is not applied. And that's kind of an important concept uh, for um, us as, as advanced practice nurses to understand that while evidence tells us what the right thing is to do, the individual patient is actually the person who is actually the variable that eh, the person, but the variable that uh, determines whether or not um, they are able to uh, take the treatment. Uh, another analogy for this comes from uh, the oncology world, where there are we may know that the first line treatment for a specific form of breast cancer is, and and this is not uh, a discipline I'm familiar with, but. Uh, is a certain type of, of chemotherapy and that, um, that that is the best and the most effective and it will give the person the best chance. However, not every patient can tolerate every uh, form of chemotherapy. Therefore, that treatment may need to be aborted because the individual patient cannot tolerate it and a secondary approach um, uh, would need to be identified. Um, hence the ongoing monitoring and that mantle of responsibility falls to the provider uh, to, um, uh, to work on that. So here's a, um, an exemplar of how informatics are actually uh, changed, changed, and I'll say that in the post tense because it's, it, it did change and it is ongoing and developing. Uh, and if you're familiar with the um, Walgreens uh, example of the urgent cares, uh, 
before that, uh, before Walgreens stepped onto the market with the urgent care, there really were very few options for someone who had minor, though acute, um, uh, health care issues. Uh, and I mean stuff like bronchitis and urinary tract infections and children with otitis media um, or uh, strep pharyngitis. And so after hours, it, these cases would either go to a pediatric, uh, a personal pediatric clinic, and those hours weren't always there, or it became um, an emergency room access issue, which we all know that is not the most uh, cost-effective, nor efficient, nor appropriate place for people to come in with minor, though urgent issues. And so the Walgreens uh, identified this uh, urgent care clinic model uh, and they did market research, extensive market research on that through informatics and questionnaires and sampling. And they identified that um, that the the patients that would best benefit from this or would be best uh, using this would be that who, um, uh, who, who had relatively minor uh, health issues that needed to be uh, investigated, but that did not require uh, uh, care um, in an emergency setting. Um, so they actually developed, uh, they were the largest employers of advanced practice nurses. Uh, they developed um, some kind of uh, uh, algorithmic or template kind of uh, treatment approaches uh, where uh, the, it's very patient uh, driven. The patient self uh, registers, uh, the patients are then seen in the exam room, which is usually in the middle of the pharmacy. Uh, the APRN interviews the patient, puts the information into their health record, um, and there's key information about health status, which actually provide prompts, and this is just exactly what EPIC does also, guys. Um, prompts uh, so that you ask uh, the right questions. Um, it asks about health status. It asks about uh, medications and um, and picks up some data uh, uh, points uh, that will guide the um, uh, the practitioner, the advanced practice nurse, not necessarily to make a diagnosis, but once the diagnosis is made, uh, will guide them to the most current uh, treatment options available. Um, there's also, and Epic does the same thing too, if you are, when you're getting to clinical, if you're in an urgent care setting, you'll see if you're in an Epic environment, it will, if you put in symptoms, cough, low-grade fever, It'll bring you up what they call express lanes in EPIC, and those are actually um, targeted uh, algorithmic uh, data sets so that you can pull your orders and interventions and even a template of a note from there. So this was the same thing that Walgreens did way ahead of uh, the EPIC. Um, as part of this also, they actually were able to use a well-known tool called HEDIS, H-E-D-I-S, which stands for Healthcare Effectiveness Data, data and Information Set. Uh, and it's a set of national quality standards, uh, which was um, uh, developed by the National Committee for Quality Insurance. Uh, it's used across the nation. Walgreens are not the only people who use this. It's used in hospitals. It's used in every quality office, um, uh, whether it's an insurance company, a clinic, a physician's office, or a hospital system. Uh, and then this information, through this HEDIS information, is actually publicly reported. So what is kind of cool about the Walgreens model is they actually did publicly report their data that, um, that uh, the, the actual percentage on the quality scores of children 18 months to 18 years, so this is your pediatric population, 
that were diagnosed and appropriately treated for a URI. Now, it doesn't say it told the practitioner how to treat it. It just said by the current guidelines, they were appropriately treated for URI, that the percentage uh, of patients 18 to 64 years old were appropriately treated uh, for bronchitis, and that the percentage of children two years to 18 years who were appropriately uh, received a group A strep test were prescribed an antibiotic appropriately for the pharyngitis. So it's really not driving the care in the exam room per se, and that it's analyzing the data taken from that and applying it uh, uh, to a quality model uh, as to um, who hit the mark, who didn't hit the mark, uh, where could this be um, improved and changed. Uh, every month, um, Walgreens APRNs are actually given um, a uh, professional kind of peer review process when they're seeing how their information hits the mark. Uh, I suppose, theoretically, this could be extrapolated for, um, I guess, performance improvement. Uh, but I know a couple APRNs who do this, and that is not uh, the model at Walgreens. It's actually used to look at opportunities for improving the care. It's not used for disciplinary issues, but it's really a, a review, an electronic review of their charts against the best practice standards and quality documents at that time. Uh, so it really um, does become a month-to-month -month peer review activity. Uh, and the, the nurses are given those all, um, audits in which they can kind of um, uh, develop their practice off that. Um, this then translates into a quality scar, uh, score, which I suppose could be a metric used uh, for um, for individual remediation or uh, discipline. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, they, uh, that model actually that Walgreens used stemmed from that of a, of a retail mode. You know, we're gonna have the patients here, we're gonna get them engaged in their care, and we're gonna roll out these clinics. And um, probably about five or six years ago, these clinics were everywhere in Walgreens. They're now a little bit more regionalized uh, as CVS has opened their quick care, as free care, uh, freestanding urgent cares are opening up, uh, and as um, hospital systems also have opened up their own urgent cares. Um, and the reason for that is really this expansion of urgent care is really multifactorial. One of them, it does reduce the burden on um, the emergency room, which is important. Uh, it is a more cost-effective way to deliver the care because you don't have the overhead of a hospital, you don't have the uh, overhead in the form of equipment and staffing and machinery, uh, and you don't have the exposure of the individual uh, to the what could be a traumatic urgent uh, emergency room um, stay, uh, especially for children. So these are actually very well used uh, for children and for the elderly uh, because it's convenient, it's on their schedule. Uh, as society changes, um, most urgent cares have pretty broad hours of operation, 8 in the morning till 9 or 10 o'clock at night, uh, weekends and holidays. As our society has changed, uh, and you might have an, an adult caring for an elderly uh, um, family member, and they can come after work with them versus taking time off work, or the sandwich generation who has both parents they tend to and children that they uh, tend to. So this whole application of information in healthcare technology kind of rolls right into um, uh, coding taxonomies and classification uh, systems. 
no no technological um, system is not built on databases. Uh, so what I'm really saying is that there's a database for everything uh, and that these required reporting functions, some of them governmentally mandated, some of them um, uh, individual system mandated, some of them professionally mandated, uh, and that is part of being a profession, right, is to evaluate the care that you provide. Uh, so that is actually um, a part of our uh, our shtick, uh, for lack of a better term, as a, as, a prof- as a profession that we are constantly analyzing and evaluating and critiquing our, our individual performance and that as a whole. Uh, so this whole... But this is not, we do not exist in an island, and we don't get to be super uh, altruistic and not be bothered by uh, coding and, and the taxonomy of what we do, uh, because that's part of uh, being a profession also. Uh, so this is where the electronic health record actually, as much as it, I begrudgingly say this, has actually uh, been beneficial for most providers. A um, lot of pushback against templated notes because people feel it's, it's stifling their creativity. But at the end of the day, these templated notes actually help you hit on what's essential uh, uh, to, make it, to craft a diagnosis. So um, when you get into clinical, you'll hear this, and I'll say it if you haven't heard it already. Um, the answers to the patient scenarios are always in the story. So... Uh, the templates of the notes help you develop proper, uh, rev- you know, HPI, proper review of systems, proper um, systems uh, that need to be assessed um, to help guide you towards the treatment uh, diagnosis. Um, most providers will say they prefer a free text note. However, uh, when it comes to billing and reimbursement, these, these template notes actually help you justify the care that you provided. And I think that this is an integral concept for nurses transitioning into advanced practice role to kind of wrap their heads around. I've said this before, uh, that we are now transitioning from being part of the room charge to be, be being part, uh, to be in a role of a provider who is generating revenue. And part of that is getting your hands and feet a little bit dirty in the business of generating charges. And that's an uncomfortable transformation using your existing informatics helps you kind of learn what's important. Uh, so for example, that it, um, if you're in, in urgent care uh, or you're, in a, uh, you're working in primary care and you put in a diagnosis of heart failure onto your, um, which is a very common diagnosis, or diabetes, even more common. So you put diabetes in there into your progress note as a um, codable diagnosis, it's going to bring up the quality metrics that help you guide um, uh, the maintenance, health maintenance of the patient you're working with. Stuff like prompts like, hey, analyze this record real time, hasn't had a hemoglobin A1C in 18 months, that should be ordered. Or, you know, new data shows for the heart failure that, you know, they should actually, that carvedilol is a better beta blocker or that any beta blocker helps with mortality um, in the heart failure population, why aren't they on a beta blocker? And so you're going to be asked these prompts, and you can override them. You can say, well, you know, they had second-degree heart block, and they can't tolerate it. Or they're chronically hypotensive because of their low outflow state, 
because of their heart failure and they cannot tolerate being on both an ACE inhibitor and a beta blocker. Uh, so there are little tools in there to help you. These tools and prompts, these identification of diagnoses actually roll right into billing and reimbursement. And we're going to talk about that uh, at uh, the next uh, lecture. But just remember that this stuff has all been building uh, up uh, to this point. There's a great table in your reading uh, in uh, the um, Hamrick and Hansen's book by Tracy and O'Grady. Uh, it's table 24-1, and it's uh, uh, page 615, and it's all about... Um, the coding taxonomy and who uh, um, has developed that and what it is used for. And so when you talk about HICS-PICS, those are common coding procedures uh, systems and they're level one and level two and those are related to Medicare. And so those are Medicare guidelines. So if you have a population whose payer demographic is Medicare and that could be anyone over age 65 if they paid into Medicare or those people who are part of what's called an omnibus bill where they had, um, had uh, catastrophic uh, health problems such as renal failure. Those are actually, uh, those patients' benefits all stem from Medicare. Or those who are on disability for various reasons, their benefits stem from Medicare. And so it, it's a nice little table that shows you what the coding taxonomy is and what um, uh, website you can find for their information and actually what uh, they are actually telling you. Uh, common ones that are going to pop off there are the ICD-9, or well, strike that, ICD-10, uh, which actually was a huge change uh, not that long ago, in 2018, I think, where we went from ICD-9, where we went from about um, 3,000 uh, diagnosis codes to the uh, rollout in uh, ICD-10 went to 68,000 codes. So can you can imagine the free-for-all and the, the um, frenzy associated with billing at that point in time. And this is actually a perfect example in my mind where having an electronic system helped very much drive down um, uh, billing so you can be very specific. Uh, uh, because we're gonna talk about why that's in the next lecture and why that specificity of coding and billing is so very important. Um, and then the SNOMED, uh, which is actually nomenclature that actually helps us all talk the same language. So that's also a taxonomy. And those are all detailed on a, the table in your, um, in your book. Uh, because of this, because this kind of systematic, organized approach uh, to healthcare uh, and coding and the lingo that we use with that, it actually really does do a lot uh, to, um, to help with shared savings and increased um, uh, uh, quality measures. Uh, what are some, I know here's, here's where it gets kind of ugly because I also um, balk against the HCAPS scoring and that's that kind of hotel scoring that, uh, that hospitals were kind of forced to use. That was part of the rollout of the electronic health record. Uh, and um, and that's the consumer assessment. That's feedback from our consumers, uh, our patients, um, the people we care for. And they're the metrics that they look at, which are kind of traditional. Timely care, appointments, ease of appointments, understanding of information, how well we as providers communicate. Uh, um, can, you get to, can the patient get to a uh, specialist if they need to? 
Uh, is there content that includes health promotion and education? And is, does the patient feel that they're actually part of shared decision-making? Now, um, you hear people complain about this. I mean, on a high-level view, this is these are all honorable things. These are things we should be striving for. On this lower-level view or smaller-level view or the micro-level uh, view, um, hospitalized patients don't really spend a lot of time as a rule talking about thinking or contemplating shared decision making or the timeliness of how they got into the hospital. Rather, they focus on uh, the timeliness of how fast um, they were discharged, how fast they had an answer to their questions, how fast their call light uh, or their needs were met. And so the application of this HCAPS uh, to the um, to the inpatient stay is a little skewed. I think it's completely appropriate. My own personal opinion is is to apply it to an exam room in an outpatient setting uh, because this is actually what we're there for. We're there to promote um, health promotion and to make sure that they understand why they're doing and we are partnering with the patient uh, to understand that. Um, there's also care coordination that goes along with this and those are the treatment guidelines. The big ones that jump out are uh, COPD and diabetes and um, congestive heart failure uh, this is a metric that is upreported to CMS uh, from the primary care uh, guidelines. Um, and also that reconciliation occurs when someone is discharged from a hospital and when they come into the outpatient setting because everything changed in that interval. So when you're out there working, just remember how important it is that your medical assistant that you're working with does a proper um, uh, medication reconciliation. Oh, I request my patients bring all of their meds to every appointment or at least a card with it written down so that my MA can um, actually compare the two to see what has fallen off. Uh, because there is universally, a universality of care, uh, patients, I may see them three months ago and then they come back in and they've had a couple urgent care visits, um, and it could look like they're still taking augment and that they were taking for a, a, a strep pharyngitis or something. Uh, and so that does need to be reconciled because a lot of it is common sense, but in the heat of the moment, it's rare and elusive. Common sense is rare and elusive. So make sure that medication reconciliation uh, is done all the time. It's a huge safety event. Uh, just this past week, I found a, a patient who had been told to um, decrease his Bumex from two milligrams twice a day, which is a loop diuretic, uh, and had not, even though it was on his after-visit summary, it was in his note, but he had not. And had the um, medical assistant just done the generic, is this, are you still taking the same meds? And they would have said yes, and they wouldn't have been incorrect. However, she asked them specifically med by med. Now, one of the symptoms they were having were kind of, was presyncope. They were having the weak and dizzies. It turns out he was too dry. And so his Bumix was backed off from twice a day, um, two milligrams twice a day, to one milligram daily, uh, which with a blood pressure uh, monitoring and a follow-up visit two weeks after that. So I, I use that example just to highlight how important that medication reconciliation is. Obviously, informatics helps a ton with preventative health measures. It just brings those screening sheets right up for you. Even if you're working on inpatient right now, you're going to see the domestic violence screen. You're going to see the to uh, tobacco and nicotine screen. Today's day and age, you're going to see the COVID-19 screen on each and every patient uh, that comes in. 
on the outpatient world, there's also little prompts about mammography and um, colorectal screening, depression screening, um, uh, blood pressure checks, BMI screening. Uh, At-risk populations have additional drill-down screening. So if you're a diabetic, there's going to be more prompts that come up about hemoglobin A1C, hypertension, uh, it's going to be flagged. If someone has uh, ischemic vascular disease, there's also going to be flags to make sure that you as a practitioner are um, assessing their their lipid risk uh, and the addition of any antiplatelet agents as needed. Uh, So there's prompts that are in there. So while it may feel cumbersome and burdensome at time, informatics really does does help support the quality uh, measures uh, that we are trying to implement and provide honestly at the bedside. I mean, all this talk about measures is wonderful, but at the end of the day, what we really want to do is have a positive point of contact with a patient, whether your role is that of a, a, a NP or your uh, the CNS, you're, you're in an overarching approach to make sure that you're having a positive patient contact. The same thing for nurse midwives, the same things for nurse anesthesia. Um, CRNAs. Uh, so um, that kind of is the end of my little um, talk about informatics and um, <laughs> my exaltation of Margaret Newman as one of the coolest people on the face of the earth. I do kind of want to uh, touch bases on uh, what what things are do uh, upcoming uh, things for um, our class uh, coming up. So there are other readings that need to be done. There is the group presentation on informatics, which will be uh, um, available and online for you to do. Uh, your paper uh, on APRN competencies and practice is due um, whether or not, uh, is due on the 12th. If you have asked for uh, an extension, um, uh, then you have your own individual deadline uh, based on that. Again, in this time of chaos and stress and and an unknown, great time of unknown. I do want to remind everyone, please reach out for an extension if you need to. All of us have been, uh, are off a little kilter on this. Um, and so we're all in this together. So if you need an extension, if you need something different, if there's extenuating circumstances, please reach out to me individually. I'm also very cognizant that if you're taking other classes, those classes are ramping up also. Uh, so I understand guys. I, I said it the, on the first day of class and I say it again, we have the shared common goal and that is for you to be successful because someday I get to quit working and you get to care for me. Uh, and, and I actually want to make sure that you guys are well, well qualified and very um, understanding and uh, full of grace when it comes to understanding uh, why sometimes things need to shift. Uh, not like tectonic plate shifting, guys, but just a little bit adjustment, adjust our sails so that we can navigate uh, these new waters. Um, I'm going to try to come up with a leading health indicator activity that's a little bit, um, I want it to be meaningful. And so I'm playing with that. I may add that actually, because I have not yet decided on the format that I want to do that in. Uh, I want it to, it may just be a video or just a a PowerPoint for you to understand what leading health indicators are. Uh, When we're in the face-to-face thing, I usually have people kind of, um, go to the United States Preventative Task Force website and pick an indicator and as a small group kind of break it down and then present a strategy to the class. But it, it's not going to be, um, 
it's not going to be that dynamic, I think, in a, a online for, uh, formation, and I don't want to add another level of stress, so I'm still playing with that. So I will actually, um, I promise you, send out an email blast so that you know. I do want to welcome uh, Amy's group to this. I should have said that at the beginning of the uh, class. Her, she was of Amy um, uh, taught the face-to-face uh, -face, uh, section of this, and with this COVID-19 pandemic, we actually rolled into uh, uh, a complete online format. So, hey guys, welcome. Uh, I'm sorry if you if I annoyed you with the number of ums that I said in this. It's it's an early morning lecture uh, that I'm recording and without the benefit of clearly enough coffee to get me through it. Um, again, as always, uh, reach out uh, if you have any questions. Uh, if you make sure in this very stressful time, um, no matter what you're doing, whether you're technically on the front line and you're wearing your PAPR suit every day or you're at home and you're working from home because of circumstance and you're trying to juggle home and children responsibilities and school responsibilities and work responsibilities without ever leaving your home, know that we really are in this all together. I mean, and that be nice to each other, stay home, Wash your hands, say your prayers, because Jesus and germs are everywhere. That was my mom saying. Uh, so I cannot take credit. You also have to cite a source because we are graduate level, right? So the source for that is Lorraine Donovan. She's the source of uh, wash your hands and say your prayers because Jesus and germs are everywhere. Uh, seriously, guys, take care of yourself. Uh, when the sun is out, stick your head outside your to get some fresh uh, sunshine because vitamin D is immune boosting. And, and hang in there. Reach out if you need something. Uh, See you guys next week.